about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now, it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you also may believe. These things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb, in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Well, it's a sobering thing to hear the account of Jesus' death. Let's pray as we think about it a little. Father, give us grace by the power of your Holy Spirit to receive these words and gain from them a knowledge of your Son and what he has done for us. Amen. In the account of the arrest and execution of Jesus in John's Gospel, there is a very striking contrast that if we will let it, will take us to the heart of Good Friday and what it means for us today. At the beginning of the account, John shows us Jesus being arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, a place only a few hundred metres from the Jerusalem temple across the Kidron Valley. When Judas, Jesus' betrayer, leads a band of soldiers to the garden, 
Jesus confronts them and asks, who is it you want? When they reply that they want Jesus of Nazareth, John tells us that Jesus responds with the words, I am. English versions tend to add a he at the end, making it I am he, so that it doesn't sound so grammatically peculiar. However, in John's Greek, what Jesus says in response is simply, I am. When Jesus said, I am, John tells us, those who had come to arrest him drew back and fell to the ground. The sheer reality of his presence somehow overwhelms them. And then the interaction is repeated. Jesus asks them again who they are looking for. And again, he says, I am, when they say they are looking for Jesus. I told you that I am. Chapter 18, verse 8. Now, I said there was a contrast. Where is it? The contrast is between Jesus' words here at his arrest and the way in which Peter, Jesus' closest friend, denies Jesus immediately following it. A connection of some sort between one of Jesus' disciples and the high priest's family allows Peter to get into the courtyard of the high priest's house where Jesus is being questioned. On the way in, the servant who lets Peter in asks him a fairly reasonable question, whether he too is one of this man's disciples. Peter denies it, perhaps not wanting to jeopardise his admission, but dishonestly nevertheless. The form of Peter's denial, though, is what we need to notice. John tells us that Peter says, I am not. It is the exact opposite of what Jesus says in the garden. Peter repeats this denial in the same form just moments later, standing by the courtyard fire in the cold of the night. You aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He's asked, and he denied it, saying, I am not. I am not. The form of Peter's words is no accident, actually. When the other Gospels record Peter's denial, they give it in fuller terms. They say things like, I don't know what you're talking about. John, though, has deliberately reduced this to its essence so that it stands out in contrast to Jesus' words. Jesus says, I am. Peter says, I am not. John wants us to see Peter's words not just as a denial, but as a confession. More than just a moment of weakness, they amount to a confession of his failure. His failure to do what he said he would do. His failure to be who he said he would be. Who he believed he could be. Peter had told Jesus that he would stand by him, that he would be with him to the end. I will lay down my life for you, he had said just hours earlier. It's recorded in John 13. Now, though, he will not even acknowledge that he knows Jesus. 
He is not who he thought he was. He has proven himself to be unreliable, insubstantial at this critical point. His presence, his power, pales in comparison with Jesus, pales to insignificance. In a way, he just is not. What happened to Peter? Why did he evaporate like this? What took the wind out of his sails so suddenly? John's, the, John's account puts the spotlight on something else that happened at Jesus' arrest, which we skipped over before. In the garden, after Jesus says, I told you that I am, the second time, I told you that I am, John tells us that he said, that Jesus said, if you were looking for me, then let these men go. And he said this so that the disciples would not be arrested along with him. At this point, we are told, Peter drew his sword and dramatically struck one of Jesus' captors, cutting off his ear. But Jesus sharply rebukes him. Put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? It seems that at this moment, Peter came undone. He had been steeling himself for a fight, preparing himself to struggle, even perhaps to be killed fighting for Jesus. What he had not understood, had not grasped or anticipated, was that Jesus would all, all. He would not fight because he would not fight because what he had come to do was more radical than anyone could have expected. We must not think of Peter as dim-witted or slow because we have the privilege of seeing in the gospel the life of Jesus narrated slow. It was just mind-bogglingly, terrifyingly unexpected what Jesus saw himself called to do. Called to die for the life of that was not a reality to meet unless a grain of wheat falls into the said facing his death it remains just a single grain if it dies it bears Jesus did not let Peter fight for him, did not resist his own arrest, and he stood Pilate and faced their nonsense, shifting, sneering, and suffered unto death. In the face, in the face of this truth, when truly understood that this was been followed as those who are not. For we years that led to 
silence than have peace, and do not have the courage to tell the truth. Sometimes, like Judas, we are willing to do shameful things to enrich ourselves. Sometimes, like the high priest, we are obsessed with being recognized and respected. Sometimes, like Pilate, we scoff at the idea of truth and capitulate with very little struggle to the inevitability of injustice. Sometimes, like the crowd, we let ourselves be manipulated and hide our responsibility in a mass of complicity. Sometimes, like the religious leaders, we use the letter of the law disingenuously to secure our own ends along with a veneer of due process. Sometimes, like the soldiers, we go through with evil deeds on the grounds that we are only doing our job. These are our people in this story. They are us. And Peter confesses our truth. We are not. But he is. And he died for us. That is the simple, clean, good news of Good Friday. And it is very good news indeed. For he the one who truly is, the one in whom the life and fullness of God pulsated gloriously, whose presence was filled with the blinding, clear light of divine fullness. He was the one who died, and not we. He was the one who refused to turn away and gave himself over to death so that we might have life. The one who was, who is, gave himself in the place of those who are not. And he finished the work, exhausting the penalty of sin and death that was due to us, that we might go free, so that our many and manifest failures might not be our fate. This Good Friday, friends, let us behold the one who could say with all the weight of heaven, I am. And let us see what the, that fullness of presence and life entailed. The cross. And before that awesome paradoxical presence, let us fall down in our frailty and sin and insubstantiality, let us fall down, yet not in fear and despair, but rather in humility and gratitude. For this one, this mighty, beautiful one, died for us in our place, for our forgiveness, that we who are not might be again in him. Amen.
for listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church Podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.